0: Hey podcast listeners, Kevin here. So here at long last is the promised update episode where we're taking a look at the latest news and developments that have happened within direct air capture, which is the science of sucking CO2 back out of the atmosphere. And so this is just a note to say that if you haven't listened to the last few episodes where we're talking about direct air capture, I'd really recommend that you go back and listen to those first, starting with the one called, has the scientist found the way to save the world from CO2? So, with that in mind, here's the episode. Hello, hello. Hello, Kevin. Tony.
1: <laughs> we are back.
0: We are, we are back. Well, what... you,
1: you've always been here, I am back.
0: I have, yes, I've always been here in my apartment, studio apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining me again.
1: It's been fun. Um, well, the last time was fun, and I expect this time to be fun and informative. A Twitter force, as people say on the back of books
0: have you been um you know thinking about carbon capture daily since uh we began on this journey
1: daily is is, is that the marker Oh uh, well
0: it, it is a marker
1: not daily that's that's a high bar but i have thought about it regularly so yes and i think i think about it fondly and 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 the thought persists that not enough people are thinking about it and it just baffles me
0: it baffles you
1: yeah, I, w- I want to sing it from the rooftops that people should should care about this more. It is it is our only hope.
0: Well, so the the reason I wanted to get you back here was because since we first recorded those episodes and you know talked about Klaus and uh, what's happening in Iceland, a few things have happened in this area which uh, which are pretty exciting.
1: Okay, take me through them.
0: So you you remember Klaus? Yes, right fondly. Yeah, <laughs> he's the. Um, the Arizona scientist that I went to visit, uh, originally German, who you know has been working in carbon capture longer than anyone, and even other people in the industry, you know, often refer to him as the the person who kind of started it at all. So this little bit of rug has picked up CO two in the room because it's dry. It has a
1: high affinity for CO two when it's dry. And Alan, if you want to put it in there, sure. we can we can.
0: Because he's faster than I am. So, remember, one of the main things that we talked about was that Klaus wasn't able to get sufficient money to build a, you know, a real proper prototype. We are at a point where we could move from here is how we how it looks in the lab to a serious prototype. I have felt like that for the last eight years.
1: Yeah. I sort of the, the, the metaphor in my head is we have a Klaus without the Santa.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: When we try to get money into it, we argue it takes $20 million for A $20 million engineering effort can build you a few container sized units, which could
0: collect the ton a day. And, and then, do you have that money yet? No, but if that, that's the scale it takes. So Klaus and his partner Alan had been stuck in this impasse for years. They had promising technology but not the money to start building it at the scale that they actually wanted to. But actually just at the end of April there was a press release by Arizona State University which announced that ASU and Klaus had signed an exclusive deal to sell their technology to a company
1: Oh, and what's the, what's the company's name?
0: So it's called Silicon Kingdom Holdings. Okay. And there's not really much information about this company, uh, very little that I could find from researching, but the press release says that it involves leading individuals from science and business and is based in Dublin, Ireland.
1: Wow. Good on the Irish. God save the Irish. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, the exact details of the agreement in monetary terms weren't made available. But they said that they were going to build a pilot plant using Klaus's technology. Really? Yeah. I'm excited by that. I'm not ashamed to say. Right? It's really cool news. And do you remember how Klaus described one vision for a prototype he had in mind? Um, give me more. Well, well, in the episode, he talked about that a potential design for this prototype could be that it would be like these resin sheets in the shape of mattresses. Yes. And, And just by being out in the open air, these resin sheets would pick up CO2.
1: Yeah, I remember that. And so they run around like a chair on a ski lift, right? And then somewhere
0: is a shed where these mattresses get stacked behind each other, and that's where we regenerate. So that was their favorite prototype idea at the time. But what they're now talking about building are what they call mechanical trees. Um, what do you mean? So basically there'll be these columns or tree-like structures which hold the the resin that absorbs CO2. And these columns will be able to unfold like accordions from a container. So they'll go from small to big. And when they're fully unfolded, they'll stand there passively in the air and absorb CO2, just like a real tree.
1: Oh, wow. Okay, so they would start out with a s- relatively small surface area and shoot out and sort of unfold in a big ballet-like pose, <laughs> and, and then their surface area
0: would increase. Yeah, hmm. and, uh, and so they would be built in clusters, and each cluster would have around 12 of these kind of columns or tree things, and then they would go up, collect carbon dioxide, and then come back down where they would be made wet, and then, you know, the CO2 would be collected
1: it's like the sorcerer's apprentice except
0: saving the world yeah or at least in a very tiny tiny beta way <laughs> saving the world
1: yeah saving the world in a very beta way yeah that's that sounds manageable <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah and and so we still don't have details of like exactly how big these clusters or like artificial trees would be um, and we also don't know yet where this like first plant would be built.
1: So n- not necessarily Arizona, and not necessarily in Ireland.
0: No. Uh, in fact, I expect Arizona would be much more likely than than Ireland, given that Arizona is dry and that uh, it's helpful for the the resin to be dry. It's
1: true, and Ireland is not dry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what they do say is that you know a cluster comprises twelve columns, and each one, each cluster can remove one metric ton of CO2 a day. And for the first pilot plant they want to build, they're targeting taking 100 tons of CO2 out of the air each day. Hmm. And they say in the press release that they expect they will be able to do this for about $100 a ton of CO2. Or I'm sorry, they say below $100 a ton.
1: And remind me, is that a good rate?
0: Well, it depends on your perspective. I mean, it's definitely way cheaper than anything anyone has managed so far. Um, but this target of $100 a ton is interesting because it's something that virtually every single company within direct air Capture is talking about and also has their their sights set on. So so it's not just Klaus's partnership that's talking about it. Uh, Climeworks in Zurich, Switzerland has talked about it. So has uh, David Keith, one of the founders of Carbon Engineering. None of them have done it yet or proved it yet, but that's basically the the goal that most of them see as being possible and also at which point they could see a reasonable path to actually making money.
1: So $100 a ton isn't arbitrary, it's a sort of a breaking point or inflection point where it makes economic sense.
0: Yeah, or or at least given the right regulations or or markets, it it starts to make economic sense. It
1: becomes feasible in some world. Yeah, yeah, and we still haven't figured out what the actual mechanism would be for making money. The model, like you get the carbon and then you sell it to who, and why would that person or entity want the carbon, the captured carbon? Right. We don't know that yet.
0: No, not ultimately. But this is a this is an interesting area. Like, who is going to pay for this and what is going to be the model is... That's one of the actually the most interesting things that is being wrestled with right now. So in the case of Silicon Kingdom Holdings, you know, the company Klaus is partnering with, the CEO said in one article that, quote, we're basically taking a gamble that the price of carbon is going to go up to $100 per tonne. So basically they're they're making the investment now with the idea of being ready when, you know, the right regulations come into place. Ones that would create an incentive to take carbon dioxide out of the air and store it. And you can see different companies working on different ways and strategies to make this profitable to to take CO2 out of the air. Which brings me to ClimeWorks. So Climeworks are in many ways the probably the current leaders in direct air capture. They have 60 employees and have a small plant about 50 kilometers outside of Zurich, uh, a plant that I actually had the chance to go see last year. And at this plant, they have about 50 direct air capture units. Each one is made out of metal, is about two by two meters big, and is capable of sucking out 50 tons of carbon dioxide from the air each year. Wow. And and we mentioned Climeworks in one of the episodes because at their plant in Switzerland, they're taking carbon dioxide out of the air. And then they're selling that carbon dioxide to a greenhouse that's uh, just on site uh, because the plants in the greenhouse, um, they eat up the carbon dioxide and then actually grow faster.
1: They just eat that stuff up. <laughs> that's great.
0: Yeah. But I'm bringing up Climeworks because a couple of cool things have happened with them just recently. The first piece of news is that they signed an agreement with Coca-Cola.
1: Oh, didn't see that coming.
0: No, but um, so the agreement is that Climeworks is going to provide Coca-Cola with carbon dioxide that they've captured from the air. So they're going to be, with 12 new units of their carbon capturing devices, they're going to be taking carbon dioxide out of the air and providing that to Coca-Cola. Um, specifically they're going to provide at least at first the co2 needed for the carbonation of mineral water sold by coke in switzerland
1: yeah we talked about that being one of the current uses of carbon once once people have captured it you know you carbonate drinks and coca-cola they need a lot of carbon
0: yeah they need uh, it's like several million a year apparently or at least the overall beverage industry needs several million tons of co2 each year so at least in the the short term. I mean, that's one strategy. But I think what was more interesting was another piece of news that came from Climeworks. So so do you remember how Klaus was talking about volunteers, you know, like how he thinks that volunteers could help Uh kickstart this revolution by making it profitable for companies to take carbon dioxide out of the air because people would be willing to pay for it? Yeah. And he gave the example of recycling in America, which was you know, driven by volunteers.
1: Yeah, and that the fact that people wanted it made governments or at least municipalities respond.
0: Yeah, and so this also just happened in the past uh, two or three months. Climeworks announced that they were opening up a, a shop, saying that you could now offset your emissions with them. That they were offering this as a as a service. What? Yeah. So I have I have the website right here. So how it works is you can. Go to the website, and for either 7 euros a month, 21 euros a month, or 49 euros a month, you can offset various amounts of your CO2 emissions.
1: And by capturing it?
0: By capturing it. So what's kind of cool is that they've teamed up with CarbFix in Iceland. So do you remember CarbFix?
1: So that was the group, um, they were taking CO2 and storing it in the ground.
0: Uh, yeah, and permanently turning it into to rock. Yeah. And so... What's happened is that Climeworks has placed one of their carbon capturing units, you know, these like two by two meter metal things at the geothermal plant in Iceland. And so it's taking carbon dioxide out of the air and then using the Icelandic method that we talked about, the carb fix method, they're turning that air captured CO2 into rock underground. Really? Yeah. And as far as I know, this is actually the first time that there's ever been a true negative emission with direct air capture. Because in in all of the efforts that have been done by Climeworks or any company up until now, um, they've always been taking the CO2 out of the air and then either just re-releasing it or using it for some sort of purpose where eventually the CO2 will find its way back to the atmosphere. Um, so, so yeah, this is a a true negative emission and one that you can now actually buy. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's super small. They're currently only doing this with up to 50 tons a year, but it's, uh, but it's a first and eventually they want to add more units.
1: So they're, they're capturing carbon no matter what, but they're trying to get people to pay for the capturing that they're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, right now they don't have a way to pay for it. I mean, they're getting, they've gotten grants from, various EU initiatives and they've gotten money from the Swiss government and they've got private investments as well but you know they don't have a real business model a proper business model to you know take co2 out of the air and dispose of it just because it's a good thing to do for the planet
1: so the, so this model would rely on people who want to who want to do good who want to um, reduce um, carbon emissions or at least the footprint by by paying for it
0: yeah. So so yeah. And but what's interesting is when you look at these these figures from the website, these various options of you can be an explorer, discoverer, or a special expedition in terms of uh, offsetting your emissions. But when you look at how much they're charging, you you get a sense of how expensive it currently is. So for the highest rate of 49 euros a month, they will turn 600 kilograms of CO2 into stone each year in your name okay which would be you know a tiny tiny percentage of what a normal person would use in a in a year in the western world um so the average american is responsible for roughly 15 tons a year and a european maybe like you know eight or ten tons a year so the highest level that they're offering would take you know 0.6 tons Of carbon dioxide out of the air each year which would be about four to eight percent of your annual carbon emissions if you happen to live in the western world and for 600 euros turn it into stone so it's really cool but it, it shows you how expensive it currently is as well
1: yeah and right now it's symbolic more than making a real dent
0: yeah yeah exactly but you know just like when in solar all those years ago, it needs to develop and get off the ground. And right now they're building these units by hand um, in Zurich and each one costs three to four million euros to to manufacture. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, they're really, uh, they haven't scaled up yet. Um, but, you know, if enough people do this, it could provide them with a, a business model in at least the short term as they, they scale up and make it more affordable.
1: Wow, well, like you say with uh, with the analogy of wind and solar, they had humble beginnings, but now, you know, despite those humble beginnings, we're at a point where it's it's cheaper to produce energy using wind and solar than it is through coal. Yeah. Um and that that is a point that we could reach with yeah. carbon capture.
0: Yeah, definitely. But it, it took uh, a long time to get there. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's good that this is happening now so that, you know, hopefully it can eventually get to that point. But I, I think Climeworks is a really interesting example because, you know, in one company you see kind of the struggle or the attempts to really find a business model for direct air capture. So, you know, they're selling the carbon dioxide to Coca-Cola, they're selling it to a greenhouse, and they're also now trying to get volunteers on board. Uh, but it's kind of like a hodgepodge approach to making the the economics work.
1: Yeah, it's, um, but it is, well, hodgepodge is one way to put it. It's many prongs in their approach.
0: Yes, which maybe is a good thing. Um, yeah. But it, but it also kind of shows you that there isn't the proper regulations maybe to make this profitable. Yeah. So that was Climeworks. But maybe the most significant thing that's happened in terms of both financial investment and scale of the plans is with actually a Canadian company called Carbon Engineering. So, uh, this is a company based on the west Coast of Canada, north of Vancouver. Bill Gates was actually an early investor in this company, which is uh, usually thrown around whenever it's mentioned, and in the last few months, they've raised close to a hundred million dollars, really, yeah, which is you know really big for this space. It's the most money that's been invested in any of these companies to date.
1: hundred million that's any any startup would be proud,
0: yeah. But what's interesting is where this money has come from for carbon engineering, as well as what they see as their business plan. What do they see as the market? Well, two different things. So at their current plant that exists in Squamish, British Columbia, their plan is to expand and then use the carbon dioxide they're capturing from the air to create synthetic fuels. Do you remember this idea of synthetic fuels?
1: Yeah. So synthetic fuels, as far as I can remember, is taking carbon out of the air and then taking that carbon and turning it into what we would recognize as fossil fuels. So transforming them into, you know, kerosene or, or any, anything else that we burn to, to get energy.
0: Yeah, exactly. We can turn it into methane or gasoline or even jet fuel. And so this was an idea that Klaus was really excited by and thought was a potential way for direct air capture to find a market, you know, by using the carbon to create carbon neutral fuels. And so that's one thing that carbon engineering is doing. So they got a loan from the government of Canada, and they're using that money to expand their current plant. And so the idea is that by 2022, they'll be pulling out of the air each day 4.5 tons of carbon dioxide, and they'll be using it to create 320 liters per day of clean net carbon neutral synthetic fuel. that is... Uh, like some of the other examples we've
1: mentioned, it's not where we need to be, but it's a huge step towards where we should be, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it definitely represents a big step up in, in scale. And and according to their estimates, it would cost, these haven't been proven, but they think they can do it for about a dollar a liter of gasoline.
1: And can you put that into context for us? What What, what would that mean?
0: Well, in a lot of Europe, gasoline sells for about a dollar fifty a liter. So this would definitely be cheaper if they're able to produce it for that price. But of course, there's all sorts of taxes, which is the reason why gas is a Euro 50. But the point is, is that if these numbers are true, then it means it could be actually commercially viable.
1: Yeah, like competitive. And that that makes all the difference. Yeah. That uh,
0: means that if you're at the gas station and
1: you have the choice between, you know, c- captured carbon or regular fossil fuel and the difference is a couple of cents, making the right choice becomes a lot easier.
0: Yeah, or even, even if it's, you know, 20 or 30 cents more, you know, yeah. you know, maybe it would be close enough that a lot of people would be willing to do it.
1: Yeah, all of that sounds optimistically viable, cautiously optimistically viable.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually this, you know, their plan to create synthetic fuels at their plant in Canada is just one small part of their plans. Uh, they actually have another part which is much bigger. Okay. So what they're planning on doing with the rest of the money that they raised is to build a new plant in Texas, where they'll be able to capture from the air 500,000 tons of CO2 each year.
1: 500,000 tons. That is that's
0: larger than anything else we've we've talked about. Yeah, it's orders of magnitude bigger than anything else we've talked yeah. about. So this is actually really big. Taking 500,000 tons of CO2 out of the air each year puts everything else, you know, completely to shame. Like this is really a huge, huge proposed project. Uh, And what's interesting is is where the money for this is coming from. Well, pray do tell. So most of this money that Carbon Engineering recently raised came from the oil industry. (laughs) What? Yeah, it's rather unintuitive. So to help explain what's going on, I phoned someone up. Here's Noah Deitch. He's the founder and executive director of Carbon 180, a think tank dedicated to negative emissions.
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting. We've seen a handful of big oil and gas investments into direct air capture companies in the past three or so months at this point. One of the biggest was Occidental Petroleum and Chevron investing into carbon engineering. So, Carbon Engineering also got money from an
0: Australian mining company and, as I mentioned, the government of Canada. But by far, the most money that they recently raised came from Occidental Petroleum.
2: Occidental Petroleum then subsequently announced that they were working with Carbon Engineering to design a 500,000 ton per year project in West Texas to do direct air capture. And so to give you some context on that, 500,000 tons per year is roughly two orders of magnitude greater than the biggest direct air capture pilot project today. And so it will be a a huge step forward for scaling direct air capture technology if it's able to move from engineering to actually steel in the ground.
1: Okay, you're going to have to do some explaining about why these companies would have an interest in this and you're probably
0: gonna to have to explain a lot as to how this would not be malicious and evil <laughs> well this is where opinion is actually really divided but so occidental petroleum is one of the world leaders when it comes to using carbon dioxide in the service of the oil industry and they use it for something called enhanced oil recovery have you heard of this before no Okay, to help explain, here's Noah Deitch again.
2: So, um, enhanced oil recovery is a technique that oil companies use to make more oil from their existing oil wells. So, you remember those old uh, movies
0: of like Yosemite Sam jumping around like an oil well, where there's like this pyramid structure and (laughs) oil is, you know, shooting out the top?
1: Yeah. Oil's coming out of the out of the ground, and he's recklessly shooting around yes. uh, this very flammable oil. Yes, it never it never struck me that that was particularly irresponsible, but now, yeah, don't try that at home, kids. Yes,
0: yeah. And so, in the early days of oil drilling, we have this image of oil gushing out of the ground, which actually happened because the oil's underground and it's under huge pressure. And so when they would drill down and break into one of these reservoirs, you know, strike it rich with black gold, the oil would shoot out. And sometimes it took, you know, days and even weeks to get it back under control. And often workers would die because they were too close when this explosion happened. But over time, as you actually start taking more and more oil out, then the pressure in the reservoir drops and it gets to the point where you can't actually get out all the oil that is
2: in the reservoir. And what oil companies have figured out is by adding additional pressure back to those wells with a fluid like CO2, it can increase the amount of oil that gets produced from any given well. And so this is what's known as enhanced oil recovery.
1: Does
0: it need to be CO2? Could it not be any gas? I don't understand exactly why it needs to be CO2. I'm not sure, but... It seems for, for whatever reason, yeah. CO2 is particularly good at this uh, compared to other gases, especially when they're very deep wells. Yeah, And according to what I've read, injecting CO2 like this can increase the total oil production of depleted oil wells by as much as 20%. So you really can get a lot
2: more oil this way. And the reason that this is a good thing for the climate when oil companies start to use direct air capture machines for this work is that today oil companies are getting co2 for these operations by drilling underground for essentially fossil co2, putting it in a pipeline and shipping it to these oil operations. And it's much more climate friendly for these companies to actually take co2 out of the air.
1: Um, can you explain that one, one more time? I'm I'm not sure I got it.
2: Sure.
0: So, you know, just like there's oil underground. There's also sometimes carbon dioxide underground that's found in organic deposits. And so up until now, oil companies have been mostly using these organic deposits of CO2 to do their enhanced oil recovery. So they find a deposit in one area and then pipe all that CO2 to an oil well, at which point they inject it into that well in order to get more oil. So the idea instead is that they would use direct air capture to take CO2 from the air and then use that CO2 to inject into these oil wells. So
1: instead of taking it from underground or other places, they're going to use it from the air. And so that's a viable market. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: I think a big thing is that the CO2 from the air stays underground. And so even though the oil companies are pumping up more oil, they are sequestering carbon in the process.
0: So most of the carbon that they inject in this way does stay underground. But even if it is, in theory, better for the environment, it's not hard to imagine why this is so controversial among environmentalists. Because here we are with what we consider the good guys cooperating with who we consider the bad guys, the oil companies, the people we see as responsible for climate change in the first place, which is a contradiction which has not gone
2: unnoticed. Oh, it's ironic. Yeah, the fact that the first market for a climate technology is making more oil. The irony is not lost on on anyone in this community.
1: Well, what we have, I mean, you know, good people and bad people, we are complicit, at least in what the bad people are doing. But there is a sense in which we're trying to make their bad thing slightly less bad. And that is on the whole better than the status quo.
0: Yeah. But you certainly don't have to go far to, you know, read things from climate experts or pundits saying this is terrible, this is greenwashing, and at the end of the day, accomplishes nothing. But at least I've come around to the idea that, like, you know, even if it is greenwashing and definitely not perfect, it's better than the direct air capture companies not getting money and definitely not the levels of money to build something this big.
1: Yeah, and it may be at least a step along the path of... Of becoming scalable or viable
0: in general. Exactly, because there's no other way, at least not currently, to possibly build something
2: this big. And I, I think one of the things that people are looking for in this case is not that the first direct air capture projects actually are large scale carbon removing projects. The whole point for these early projects is to get steel in the ground and learn how to build direct air capture technology in the hopes that by building it we'll learn how to do it better and more cost effectively so that over time as we stop drilling for oil we can start simply taking the co2 from a direct air capture machine and storing it underground without any of the associated fossil energy production
0: and there are signs that occidental petroleum might be really serious about their efforts from a climate change point of view because they have this new CEO, her name is Vicky Holub. And you know, there's been interviews with her and it really seems like she might actually care about climate change. So there's a a quote from a New York Times article where she says, quote, every oil company should be striving to become carbon neutral. And she goes on to say that ultimately, we think we can be carbon negative and addressing climate change as a turning point for the industry. Wow. So even even to, to just quantify that goal as becoming carbon negative is
1: is such a huge shift.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a, a total huge shift. So if they're serious about it, which it seems that they they are, then you know, that's a, a really good, really good thing. And maybe it could break our this dichotomy that we have of, you know, them necessarily being the enemy. Um, because of course after all, we're the ones who are still creating demand for the product, you know
1: yeah we're completely complicit in in many ways but there is there's a sort of like real politic to all of this of how can i how can i make my enemy my ally and get what i want done done sooner
0: yeah yeah exactly uh and vilifying them hasn't seemed to work all that well uh not that there shouldn't be uh you know justice and accountability where they are dragging their heels and going against uh regulations but it seems like it's a positive step here.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's it's also less bad. It's not perfect, but it's less bad.
0: Yeah, and few things are are perfect, uh, at least today. Yeah. So this is also one of those cases where we see that there are a couple of regulations that have come online that are making direct air capture theoretically profitable. So what made this deal between Occidental Petroleum and carbon engineering possible is that there's two regulations now in the U.S. that uh, create incentives for direct air capture.
1: Sounds like California.
0: It is California. That's the main one, actually. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, here's Noah with an overview on the two incentives.
2: Yeah, so one is here in the U.S. at the federal level There is a production tax credit for carbon capture and storage called the 45Q tax credit, which is the exact same type of tax credit that the wind industry has had for years here in the U.S. and has been essential for getting wind energy deployed and the costs down. That production tax credit is eligible for direct air capture and offers up to $50 a ton if the direct air capture project sequesters the co2 underground
1: so this is probably gonna confuse a lot of people does this mean that trump has signed a you know anti-climate change bill
0: yes well anti sounds a bit strange a climate (laughs) a climate friendly bill yes yeah so at least in this one case uh something got through I mean, I guess it's also an incentive for fossil fuel companies, which is what the cynics would say, because it it gives an incentive of thirty five euros a ton if that uh, carbon dioxide that was taken from the air is used for enhanced oil recovery. Yeah, but um,
1: that would be how you'd understand that this is a, this is a way for fossil fuel companies to continue doing what they're doing, slightly more cheaply.
0: Yeah, but it it does provide an incentive to take CO two out of the air and uh, and bury it. So that's the federal incentive around direct air capture.
2: But the the real big one is that in addition to that federal tax credit, there is a state cap and trade program here in California, specifically for the transportation sector. The credits trade at roughly two hundred dollars a ton today. And that level is really significant for direct air capture developers and direct air capture is now eligible to sell credits into this market.
1: I don't qu- I don't know if I understand all of that, but I'm hopeful.
0: So basically now California has a credit of around $200 per ton of captured CO2. It's market-based, so it goes up and down, but right now it's worth close to $200. And this was originally created to help get the state's transportation emissions down to zero because they realized that since there will probably always be emissions from things like airplanes and shipping, that they need to support not only carbon neutral solutions, but also carbon negative solutions. And so direct air capture projects anywhere in the world that are taking carbon dioxide out of the air and storing it would be eligible for this credit.
1: California, bring it home again. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. And actually California is, uh, apparently the world's fifth biggest economy. If it was treated as its own country, so uh, what California does is is not a small deal.
1: Yeah, that it's it's like uh, you know if Germany were to do something. Yeah.
0: In terms of GDP. Yeah, and when you combine the two two credits, you know you're looking at more than two hundred dollars per ton of captured CO two and so you know that really is uh, an incentive especially when you consider that every company that we talked about has a hundred dollars a ton in their in their sites yeah so if they can really do it for those rates then these credits could be a real economic driver of developing this technology yeah and carbon engineering has explicitly said that it's these tax credits the california one and the uh 45q federal tax credit which has allowed them to you know, get this deal with Occidental Petroleum and start uh, designing this plant. And the CEO of Carbon Engineering, Steve Oldham, said that they will be able to capture CO2 at this plant for much less than $200 a ton, which would mean, you know, they would make money. And he also said, quote, the baseline economics work. Otherwise, we wouldn't be spending money on this.
1: And that is major if it works.
0: Yeah, if it works, but uh, it seems like they're really serious about it, and they uh, expect to start building this plant in 2021, and then to start capturing the carbon dioxide two years later.
1: Wow! And and this is the only or the first of of other plants.
0: Well, they've said in interviews that they want to build this first plant that will take 500,000 tons of CO2 out of the air each year, and then they would like, if possible, to expand it to a million tons a year.
1: Wow. All, all, all of it sounds very hopeful. It sounds like tiny baby steps are moving in the right direction, and I'm, I'm actually getting a little skeptical that that you're giving me so much good news.
0: Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, as I was editing these these last few episodes, it was kind of crazy because all of these different articles were coming out with more and more seemingly good and uh, positive news uh, about direct air capture. And I think uh, just what has happened in the past, uh, since the start of 2019, is really quite quite exceptional. It's really accelerated a huge amount.
1: I mean, the right response, I suppose, with, with this problem or the problem of this magnitude is to be optimistic but not complacent. So what what's going to take to make sure that we don't get complacent and the ball isn't dropped?
0: Yeah, I, I think, uh, like Noah talked about this, you know, I think one of the things that is... Is important is that just more people understand that, A, this is what the UN's own projections say we need to do, and uh, I think that is becoming more of a known thing, that we will need to take carbon dioxide out of the air, and that it is possible, you know, that there are big questions attached, but yeah, it's possible, especially with the right government incentives. Yeah. And on the question of complacency, I also asked Noah what else, in his view, was needed, you know, besides these two American regulations, to really push direct air capture forward?
2: Yeah, so we're going to need a lot more support. Direct air capture on the research side has only received on the order of 10 million dollars or so ever here in the U.S. and roughly that order of magnitude elsewhere in the world. But to really be pushed forward,
0: NOAA says that direct air capture should be receiving hundreds of millions of dollars in research grants each and every year, which sounds like a lot of money, but is actually comparable to how much clean energy gets every year.
2: But I think what's really essential right now is to create an early market for direct air capture, in addition to these 45Q and low carbon fuel standard credits, is to have somebody say, we're going to pay for the first, let's say 100 million tons of direct air capture CO2 at the price that will enable these direct air capture developers to actually build projects and deliver on that amount. Subsidies similar to what Germany did for, for solar, what California and some of the US states did for renewable energies with their renewable portfolio standards. So creating that first market, it's not. It's not huge, but it's certainly substantial and requires somebody to have the vision and and leadership necessary to to make that market.
0: And according to Noah, it's not until we have such a market of sufficient size that we'll start to really understand the true economic price of taking carbon dioxide out of the air.
2: And I think the history of renewable energy has been that costs have always come down faster and farther than all of the the experts have thought and i'm optimistic that will with significant markets that we'll see a similar thing happen with direct air capture
1: well used to hoping that we see it through
2: definitely
0: and i think what this recent news shows is that you know in the right circumstances incentives or laws can just be tweaked a little bit and then end up making a huge difference like this this california thing you know it's not something that made world news at least it didn't come across my desk uh but you know these things are changed a little bit and then suddenly the incentives can be there with something that doesn't actually end up costing people that much money or states that much money i mean maybe the cynical side would say it's like these boring conversations that happen on the peripherals of democracy with you know discussions in back rooms but when they are changed then they can really provide opportunities to to change the world very slowly just like you know it was like small research projects that happened in the background or like the feed in tariff in germany that made things like solar and wind possible and even though they seem like really boring things you know guaranteed prices for solar energy that's produced 10 20 years later that's why we are where we are today where solar and wind can compete head on with with coal
1: yeah it's the it's the small, incremental, boring things happening on the sidelines that really make a difference.
0: For sure. And at the same time, you know, I do want to emphasize that it's clear that ordinary people also have an influence. So right now in Germany and even really across Europe, political parties from all sides of the spectrum are talking about taking more action on climate change. You know, putting a price on carbon pollution and putting more investment into low carbon or carbon neutral technologies. And I think this has all really been spurred by the Fridays for Future movement and other things like it, which has seen, you know, in Europe and across the world, thousands of students take to the streets and demand more action on climate change.
1: Yeah, I mean, those those are all things that that have sort of tipped on the axis of political change that has happened. Um, but if that's coupled with the economic stuff, then it really it really can get momentum. Yeah,
0: and uh, I think we're starting to see that. Which uh yeah no no reason for being complacent but uh it's exciting to see it grow yeah yeah <laughs> well uh thanks again for coming out Well, i'm always happy to come for good news this
1: is not normally how podcasts about climate change end
0: yes yes um, almost never no incl- including with my own yeah uh, so yeah I'm, I'm very uh happy too to to be able to share Yeah, some some momentum, for once. Unprecedented.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks, Kevin.
0: Thank you. So that's it for this time. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the update episode. I want to thank again Noah Deitch, the founder and executive director of Carbon 180, for speaking with me. You can find out more about the work Carbon 180 does by heading to their website, carbon180.org. And they also have a great weekly newsletter which you can subscribe to, which is definitely worth checking out uh, if you want to keep up to date with the latest developments within direct air capture and negative emissions more broadly. Many thanks to Anna Fleck, who helped me with research for this episode, as well as my co-host Tony Andrews. This series of episodes was made possible thanks to Climate Kick, ClimateKick is a knowledge and innovation community working to accelerate the transition to a zero-carbon economy. They identify and support innovations which help society mitigate and adapt to climate change. You can find out more about what ClimateKick does by heading to climate-kic.org. I'm Kevin Caners. See you next time.